Evil and murder and death and darkness are all around. There's the stench of fear, and the ground shakes with those who march for war. And so it begins. I could be talking about Ukraine, but it's the beginning of J.R. Tolkien's second book in the Lord of the Rings trilogy. The king declares, and so it begins at the Battle of Helm's Deep. And so begins Lent. And while Lent is not a war, this purple season of the church year reminds us of of a war going on since the world fell into sin. All wars since, including the one in Ukraine, are a result of sin which came into the world when the first two people God made fell for the lies of Satan and disobeyed their father and creator. There's a war going on in us. Should I do this thing I want to do? I know I shouldn't, but I'll do it anyway. Should I be thinking of harming this person or myself? I know I shouldn't, but I can't stop thinking about it. It's definitely a conflict. Now, most of you have been in this church long enough, or you've been Lutheran long enough to know that typically Lutheran preaching is mostly repeated statements of truths and facts. Lutheran preaching pretty much goes like this. Jesus is this and Jesus is that. Jesus has done this and Jesus has done that. And because Jesus is this and he has done that, you and I are this and we are that. Jesus is God and man and he has died for you to save you from sin. And because he has done that, you and I now live as new people in him and have forgiveness of sin and everlasting life. Right? That's pretty much how it goes. No matter how many clever ways the preacher tries to make all this sound new, the sermon still comes out being a statement of fact. We preachers don't engage you with, you know, philosophical thoughts, our our own opinions, or, or leave you hanging with a question. You know, am I saved or not? Am I a good person or not? You know, or something like that. Now, I, I, all, my, me and all my colleagues, we, we learned how to preach law and gospel to you. And you called me here to preach law and gospel. We sin, God forgives. This is why I chose these two readings from Deuteronomy for today. And so begins Lent with an extra dose of law. Moses is a great preacher of God's law. There's... There was good news in there too, right? You know, we, but we heard that first. God will bless his people and make them prosper in the land and give them all these good things. But if they don't, they'll get just the opposite. We're used to hearing it the other way around in church. You and I have sinned much since last Sunday. We said we'd do better, but we, we, we didn't. We have nothing to offer God that will make the situation better. But he's done something to fix that. He died and rose again to forgive you all your sins. Bad news first, good news last. What if today, though, we were to follow the pattern here in Deuteronomy? What if I were to end this sermon with, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord your God, hmm? 
Might not that change the way we live each week? Maybe not. Don't worry, I'm not, going to, I'm not one to experiment on you. But I would like us to consider for a moment what it must have been like to be one of God's chosen people in the days of Moses. What was it like to live under the threat of all these curses? We know what it's like to be Christians. We don't live under the threat of condemnation from God that uh, pagans do, and unbelievers and atheists. They don't have to believe it in order to receive it. You see, they're already, they've already condemned themselves. But for those who believe and are baptized, we live in God's grace and steadfast love. It's called sanctification. Now see, I'm stating more truths. This is what I do. But let's put ourselves in the place of the Israelites long ago. What was it like? Well, it might have been something like what we experienced at home when we were children. I'm not out to diminish anyone's painful experience if they grew up with an overbearing or raging father. Even those of us who grew up in a functional household, though, could be afraid of our father's anger. I must have been three or four years old when my mom caught me in the act of hurling insults at our neighbor, calling them names or something, and, you know, going, you know, that kind of stuff. My mom was absolutely livid. But as bad as that was, it was my dad's anger when he found out what I'd done. And it was so much worse, I remember believing at the time that he hated me. And from then on out, he was just going to make my life miserable. Of course, that wasn't true. My mom came into my bedroom later on, sat on my bed with me, and explained to me. She had to explain to me. This is the first time I remember her explaining to me that my dad loves me and that it's just, he's just mad because he doesn't want me to do that again. It was for my own good and our neighbor's good that I stop, that I never do that again. It worked. I never did anything like that again. I did plenty of other bad things after that, but I never taunted the neighbors again. And it didn't take very long to know that my dad's anger didn't last past the next day. You know, the next day, everything was fine. Life was back to normal, except I was a little bit different person that next day. I had grown a little bit in, in here and in here too. A change had happened. There was progress. This new day and every day following, I would be better in my thoughts and actions toward my neighbor. The Israelites and their descendants, the Jews, knew this kind of life on a personal and national scale. Life with God was a cycle. Curses and blessings, confrontation and comfort, judgment and forgiveness. This was God's pattern for their life in a sinful world. They endured severe hardships and loss because of their failure to love their Lord, their God, with all their heart and follow His commandments. But He loved them with all His heart. And even in the midst of war, you could sit around the table with your family and give thanks to God for each day you could put a grape in your mouth 
and eat the grains which made up the bread for supper and the wine. Oh, to be one of God's chosen people. To walk with him through the valley of the shadow of death with his hand on the small of your back guiding you through. To see his work among your family and your extended families as you cared for each other's children, family members, and friends. To even welcome the stranger and those on their journey into your home to show them hospitality. Well, here's a fact. You are God's chosen too. He chose you. You and I have no willpower to choose God. We're naturally bound to unbelief and unfaithfulness. We can't even acknowledge or say we even believe in Jesus, the Son of God, unless the Holy Spirit has already created faith in us. We are chosen by Him, for Him, because He is for us. And God's cycle for your life is the simple pattern of law and gospel. You know how digital information works? You know, like in computer software and on your smartphone? You know, information in your phone and on your, in, on your computer is an electronic series of ones and zeros. Astonishingly, this simple pattern goes back to 1854. A, mathemat a mathematician named George Booley published a system of logic where information can be reduced to the simplest form. Two digits, a zero and a one. And his pattern remained a textbook curiosity for decades and didn't go much beyond academic circles, but an engineer at Bell Laboratories knew about it and took it to a level that's changed our lives, revolutionized it. And so it began in 1937, the digital age, and the ability to process information at rapid speeds using ones and zeros. God's simple pattern of law and gospel can revolutionize your life. Repent of your sins regularly and often and receive the blessings of forgiveness and comfort in the face of fear and anxiety about this world from Jesus Christ. This is how God works through his world and cares for you and loves you as his dear child. Amen.